Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. numbers i am your host ryan blackburn at nba blackburn on twitter we are still continuing with our player breakdown series almost through all of the rotation players only have three more to go going to focus on mason Plumley today going to do a Q&A after the mason Plumley segment most of them are focused a little bit more on Plumley, so Keep that in mind, but this should be an interesting episode because Mason Plumley has been around with the Nuggets for several years now. It's actually been three and a half years, ever since the Yusuf Nurkic trade in February of 2017. It's been over three seasons. He's been a part of basically everything the Nuggets have done over the past few years, and while he has backed up Nikola Jokic, he has served a very important role in that that has become slightly less important over the years just based off of Jokic achieving superstardom but there are some interesting points to cover here I think people will be interested in hearing just how good Mason Plumlee was this year because he was very good especially for a backup center a qualified backup as I said Q&A at the end of this uh, keep in mind for that there is a Michael Porter Jr. point in it um up on the Denver Stiffs podcast network today, recorded a good episode with Gage Bridgeford about the Marvel movies, about the MCU. Had a lot of fun doing that. If you guys are interested in hearing about any other pop culture series, most of them is, I'm not, I'm not super great with most pop culture, but one that I feel very confident in is Harry Potter. So if you want me to record something about that, then I most certainly can. But either way, let's get into Mason Plumley and his biggest strengths and weaknesses. Okay. Plumley was one of 23 qualified backup centers in the league this year. The cutoff I used for that was 500 minutes played uh, and, and designated as a center or partial center on basketball reference. Most of those guys are now concentrated at the center position. It used to be a little bit more convoluted than it is now. Uh, guys like Larry Nance Jr. would have played power forward, or Kelly Olynyk would have played power forward for sure. They have transitioned to a center role for the most part. But it's been really interesting, and I've, I've been happy to look at all of these particular sets of data, and this one was particularly interesting to me. So among the 23 qualified backup centers in the league, Mason Plumlee's minutes per game of 17.0 ranks 14th. His points per game of 7.2 ranks 13th. Assists per game of 2.4 ranks 1st overall. Rebounds per game of 5.3 ranks 10th. Steals is 0.5 at 13th. 
and blocks is 0.6 at 16th. Okay, so lots of numbers there. Let's focus on the good first. Assists. Mason Plumley is perhaps the best backup center passer in the NBA. Actually, I don't think it's that particularly close. That is his biggest strength. His passing is very unique for that position. He averages nearly two assists per 100 possessions more than any other backup center. That's very good. It's one of the reasons why the Nuggets got him in the first place. Uh, his biggest weakness is shooting, but it's less important as a center. It's less important as somebody who's mostly around the basket. Uh, Two-point percentage around the basket, 62.7%. That ranks 10th. So in the positive section there. Three-point percentage, he didn't make a three this year. He only attempted four. There were several centers like that, though, so it's not like you can't be an effective backup center and not shoot threes. Jakob Pertl, for example, he didn't shoot any threes this year. He was very effective. He was one of the main reasons why the Spurs bench was as good as it was. True shooting percentage for Plumlee was ninth. Uh, that was dragged down, I think, by the free throw percentage being a 53.6, which is 19th out of 23 guys. So that is a definite red flag for Denver, and his free throw percentage has really trended in the wrong direction for much of his career. Let's just let me pull that up really quick just so I'm not saying that wildly. Yeah, during his time in Denver, 61.8% in his partial season in 2017. Uh, the next season, 45.8%. Uh, last year, 56.1%. And this season, 536 That's a big deal. And it won't get a lot of pub, but it's one of the reasons why in a playoff series, teams will attack him. They will make sure to go after him and make sure that he is the one that earns everybody points. Because other teams feel like they can win points on the margins if he goes 2 for 4 at the free throw line instead of 3 for 4 or 4 for 4 like some guys. So I'm interested in seeing how that progresses and whether the Nuggets take that into account to, in their calculus. But while live action is going on, most of his action, most of his points, most of his shots are coming at the rim. Uh, he's formed a great connection with Monte Morris. Some of that is above the rim. Some of that is on the just on the roll, uh, getting the ball, and then finding a nice crease and, and laying up a nice jump hook or, or whatnot. He likes to get a lot of offensive rebounds. He'll post up on occasion and does a, not a great job there, but passable for what he's asked to do. Uh, only five centers out of these 23 really were true three-point threats this year. And there were certainly more effective backup centers than just these five. The five were Kelly Olenek, Larry Nance Jr., Gorgie Jang, Frank Kaminsky, and Mo Bamba. Uh, those guys were basically up over 100 total threes attempted and 35% from three, but it's very rare still for backup centers to be able to do that. And Kelly Olenek really isn't a backup he should be a starter, in my opinion, for the Miami Heat. He is better than Myers Leonard. Uh, but that's the thing with Plumlee. He's not going to give you the three-pointer. He's only attempted four this season, made zero. But he'll give you a lot of everything else. Where he gets into most trouble is when he starts extending his range beyond the rim and settles for the mid-range shots. Those are the most egregious misses, I would say. 
At the rim, he's in the 81st percentile at his position for efficiency. Very good finisher at the rim, does a really good job. Uh, He may bobble some passes here or there. He may miss an alley-oop, but most of the time when he goes up with it, he does very well to make it. In the short mid-range, however, this is the floater zone, the short jump hook zone. He's he's shooting 23%, which is in the 8th percentile at his position. That is atrocious. It is the very worst among qualified backup bigs today. And one of the reasons for that is because he has the liable to be able to take those shots. Uh, He posts up at least once a game. Uh, A lot of his assists do come out of the post, so it's kind of a give or take here or there, but he's in the 23rd percentile in post-ups, and his previous seasons haven't been much better. I think one of them was actually worse. So it's not like that's a part of his game that should continue to be explored for Denver if they want to take the next step. They know what they have with him, and it's not great. It's not the most efficient way to generate offense. Um, Also in the long mid-range, which he doesn't do at all, uh, he is... I had this number. Oh, yeah. He only shoots... uh, He only takes 7% of his shots from the long mid-range, but that's in the 63rd percentile at his position, which tells me that most centers, especially backup bigs, aren't asked to shoot in the long mid-range anymore. Either they are shooting at three-point range, or they are being asked to get as close to the rim in the paint as possible. Don't take any long mid-range jumpers. Give it off to somebody else who should. Um, And Plumlee, I don't think, is any exception. I think given his free throw percentage, given his low three-point percentage throughout his career, I don't expect him to be a jump-shooting threat at any point. So him taking jumpers is probably not the best form of offense Denver can get, and I'm saying that relatively kindly. Advanced metrics-wise, his RPM is at plus uh, 0.08, excuse me. That's 24th among all centers and 8th among backup centers, so pretty good. Box plus minus is very similar, plus 2.2 box plus minus, 6th among the backup center group that I talked about, so... What these numbers say to me about where Plumlee is in his ranking in the NBA, he's a quality backup center. He may not be the best guy, he may not be the best fit, but what he does helps teams win, and that is valuable. His assists, in in general, just his ability to pass and find the open man, very important for bench offenses when they usually rely on one or two perimeter threats to just carry everything. Think of the Clippers with Lou Williams. Uh, What's another good example for this? Uh, The Rockets will stagger James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Uh, Most teams just use one point guard or one shooting guard or, or maybe two of those guys to just try and carry the offense while the center is entirely a rim threat or a pick and pop threat. Plumlee's a little bit different. He's unique. He helps create shots at different angles. I'm going to talk about Michael Porter Jr. in a little bit with regard to his passing to with Plumlee. But those guys are, there is a place for Plumlee in this league, and it's perhaps with Denver. Like, he, he has done a good job for the most part of helping the Nuggets be good while he is on the floor. I don't think they'll be great. I don't think that Plumlee is the best possible fit with a guy like Nikola Jokic. I think there are better centers that they could get who can 
uh, pair well with Nikola Jokic. And we might see down the line that, hey, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., maybe even Gary Harris, Will Barton, some of these guys that are quality players in a playoff setting without Nikola Jokic, they may not be able to run the same stuff with Mason Plumlee that they usually do with Nikola. That's a that's a big question mark in my opinion. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Plumlee in the playoffs and where I think we will see Mason Plumlee with the Nuggets going forward. All right, we're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here, talking about Mason Plumley, talking about what his role on the Nuggets is going to be next season if he's brought back. And I think that there's a definite chance that he's not brought back, that the Nuggets don't look to re-sign him. But we'll talk about that in just a second. Let's talk first about his playoff viability. He had a really rough playoff setting last year against the Spurs, against the Blazers. He was kind of not not waxed, I will say, but there were very few times where he was out on the floor in a playoff setting and actually performed reasonably well. I'm going to go by his game logs really quickly and just just so I can confirm this. Uh, most of the time, he's not going to be the guy that you count on, but... In the playoffs, he was a minus 11 of the 14 games the Nuggets played. He was a plus in only two of them. He was he was a zero and net neutral in Denver's Game 7 against the Spurs that they won by four, and he only played 12 minutes in that game. So, I don't know. There's definitely, there's definitely a role for him in some of these games, uh, but it's very possible that the Nuggets, when they want Nikola Jokic to play as much as possible, that the best thing the Nuggets can do during those other minutes is to try and maximize the defense. And that's my biggest concern with him, is that he has trouble at times, more often than not against the elite playoff teams, the elite caliber teams, in being able to contain on the perimeter and contest shots at the rim uh, when playing teams like the Rockets with James Harden and the Lakers with LeBron James and the Clippers. There was very little resistance put up in the Clippers game when the Nuggets really needed a big performance from Mason, and and they didn't get one. Um, Him being able to do one or both of those things will be really, really important, and that's switching on the perimeter, that's making sure that his man doesn't get by him, Uh, That's making sure the team shoot a poor percentage against him at the rim. But none of those things have really happened thus far while Plumlee has been in a Nuggets uniform. And I can't help but wonder if Denver's defense would be better if they went either smaller or they got a guy who profiled as more of a rim-protecting threat. Uh, Notable games for Plumlee this year, he was in the double-digit negative and plus-minus 12 times this season. Ten of those times were against playoff teams. He was a double-digit positive in eight of the games, and only two of those were against playoff teams. So six of them were against non-playoff teams from the previous year. 
Most of the time, Plumlee's biggest performance came when the Nuggets were facing non-playoff competition. (coughs) And that's a problem. The Nuggets need to have a way to win minutes when Nikola Jokic is not on the floor and they're facing some of these good teams. I don't know if Plumlee raises that floor uh, or raises that ceiling. He may keep their floor at a certain level and they're not going to be awful, that's for sure. He's a pro. He's a veteran. He knows how to play the game, move the ball, get a good shot. He'll do a lot of the things that you need to do hustle-wise. He'll rebound. He will chase down guys. He'll take hard fouls. does a lot of that, and that's important. That's that's outside of the realm of statistics, mostly. That's it's Sometimes it's something that we just can't quantify. But there are still things that visually, that aesthetically, something doesn't feel quite right when he's out there. And the Nuggets seem to flow a little bit better on their bench unit when they have a five that can shoot. When they have a when they go a little bit smaller. They've they've played with Porter at the four and Grant at the five. They've played with Millsap at the five. They have these lineup configurations where they actually do reasonably well when they play a smaller player who does a really good job of spacing the floor. So I wonder if they make that a priority this offseason. I wonder if that's something that they consider. Because I think, especially in a playoff series, opening up the lane is very important. Here's what I think the Nuggets and Mason Plumlee are going to do going forward. I do think there's a possibility he's back. However, if I had to predict it, I would say he's not back. The Nuggets have multiple bigs in free agency that are coming up this season. Most notably, Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant. Uh, Those guys were fighting for power forward minutes for most of the time. That spilled over to some center minutes, especially when Plumlee went down. Both of those guys, Grant and Millsap, showed that in small spurts, they could play really well as a small ball five, and the Nuggets didn't really have that much of a drop-off. They were able to space the floor, play really well, play fast. Um, The offense was flowing, and the defense didn't take much, if any, of a hit. So... Here's what the backup center market looks like right now. Of the 23 backup centers that I talked about that I've quantified, eight of them are on rookie deals and three are on vet minimum contracts. Most teams go very cheap with their backup center, especially if they have a good one. If they if they feel very comfortable with the center they have, they'll sign a cheap backup or go with a cheap backup guy for most of the time and Worst comes to worst, they just play small. Worst comes to worst, they play their six foot seven guy at the five on occasion, or their six foot nine power forward at the five, and just say, "Hey, uh, this is where we're cutting. This is where we are going to try and get our advantage." And the Nuggets are also well equipped to do that. Uh, hell, Michael Porter Jr. could even play five after getting in the gym for a little bit, after building up his body a little bit more. Um. But two deals that I want to highlight really quickly from last season. Inez Cantor signed a two-year, $9 million contract this last offseason. Robin Lopez signed a two-year, $10 million contract last offseason. That's kind of the range that I think you're looking for with Mason Plumley at this point. If you can get him for a two-year, $10 million deal, 
you should probably do it. It's not that much money. The Nuggets have already committed a lot to Jokic. If they can lock up Plumlee, a very solid player on a very solid contract, that's market value, that's something that they should probably do. I don't think they're going to get that. I think that Plumlee can probably find a deal where, A, he's paid a little bit more, and B, he plays a little bit more on a rebuilding team, on an even another contending team where they just need a nominal center. He could be a good option for the Rockets in free agency if they wanted to just hand him the mid-level exception or at least part of it. They could say, hey, you're going to be our starter. Uh, you're not going to play in crunch time, but you are going to start every game. You're going to play 20 minutes, and you're going to be a good option for Mason, or for Russell Westbrook and James Harden going down the line because they're not going to be able to play P.J. Tucker for uh, 35 center minutes a game next season. But I'm interested in seeing how it goes. I don't know if Denver can get him for that kind of money. If they can, they obviously should. He is a good backup. Some of the backups on the market right now are being paid ludicrous amounts of money. Gorgie Jang is getting paid $15 million. Uh, that's That should tell you all you need to know about the, that situation. Um, there are a lot of guys who are getting paid a lot of money. Uh, Montrez Harrell's going to get paid a lot. Uh, DeAndre Jordan got $10 million a year, and he's definitely worse than Plumlee, I would say, or at least like there's definitely no dissimilarities there. But Plumlee's already... I think it's 30 years old. He played his age 29 season right now. He's surprisingly old for a guy who is relatively young in this league still. He's going to go into year eight, or or maybe it's year six. It is, uh, yeah, he's going into year eight next year, and he will be in his age 30 season. So I very much doubt that the Nuggets are going to commit a bunch of money to him, and they probably shouldn't. He's a good, solid player, but it's certainly debatable whether he gives as much utility to a Nuggets team or if he gives more utility for a rebuilding team that's trying to help their young guys get over the top. And he could certainly be a part of that and be a great culture setter for one of those guys and play starter minutes. So there are teams like that. There are teams that I think would make a lot of sense in that case. I think the Knicks would make a lot of sense. The Bulls would make a lot of sense. Uh, the Pistons would make a lot of sense. Uh, the Hawks just got their guy. Hornets probably know. Washington with the Wizards, that would make a lot of sense if they don't believe in Thomas Bryant or uh, Moritz Wagner. So there are teams that could give Plumlee some money, that could definitely give him or at least some of their mid-level exception and say, hey, we want you to play a big role. I don't think the Nuggets can or should do that going forward. When we come back, we are going to take some Q&A with some of the questions that I asked. I was asked on Twitter. Had some good questions come up, and I think that could be a really big thing for this podcast. We'll be right back. back nuggets numbers ryan blackburn here let's get into this q a before we wrap up 
I had three good questions that I wanted to touch on, especially with regard to this team, which I think is very important. So first question comes from MPJJSGM. It's probably MPJ's game is what I would guess that is. Is it okay to re-sign more than one of Grant, Millsap, Plumley, or can they sign one and get away with Bull Bull and a cheaper backup at center? Uh, it's a good question. It's a good thought. I think it's very possible. It's one of the things that I've been kicking around in my head when, when trying to come up with what the Nuggets will do, when trying to come up with the best practices for them. I don't think the best practice for them is to give Mason Plumlee $10 million dollars uh, uh, $10 million per season, at least. It doesn't make a lot of sense with where the league is at, with where the Nuggets are at financially. Uh, if they can get Grant for a reasonable contract, if they can get Plumley for a reasonable contract, it wouldn't surprise me if they brought back two guys. It wouldn't surprise me if they brought back Grant and Millsap because Millsap has shown that he can play both the four and the five on this team, and that's a very strong skill. Uh Financially, though, we will see. Right now, the Nuggets have a lot of money tied up into five or six guys. Uh, Murray, Jokic, they will have money tied up into Grant, Harris, Barton, guys like that. Uh, Morris is on a cheap deal for one year. Porter's on a cheap deal for a couple of years. But uh, there are definitely questions, and the Nuggets don't have a lot of these medium-sized contracts, which is good for... Some stuff, bad for some other stuff, but I think they could probably get away with signing a cheaper guy. It would probably cost them one to two less wins in the regular season. Uh, but either way, the the starters are really what should set that bar. It shouldn't come down to the bench, and if it does come down to the bench, then the Nuggets probably aren't that good. Another question here from C.H. Morley. Who assisted MPJ more this season, Mason or Monty? So I looked at the numbers. I looked at the assist combos for this team on pbpstats.com, and they actually tied Mason Plumlee to Porter and Monte Morris to Porter. They tied at 19 assists, and I watched all of them uh, from all of those 38 assists combined, and it's very clear that Morris was uncomfortable at the beginning of the season throwing the ball to Porter on the perimeter. I think it's also very clear, just based off of my recollection of where Porter was at with the offense, that he really didn't know where to stand. So if I'm Morris and I don't feel comfortable with what the rookie is doing, then it's hard to throw him the ball in a lot of those situations. You don't, you don't want to get burned. You don't want to throw a pick six turnover that turns into a dunk on the other end. You want to be you want to mostly play it safe, find the right shot. Uh, but as things got more involved, as Porter got more ingrained and comfortable, Morris started throwing him the ball a little bit more on the perimeter. And his last seven assists to MPJ out of those 19 total, they were all three-pointers. I think that's notable. Porter was very comfortable catching and firing. Uh, Morris was very comfortable at that point throwing him the ball because after the rookie shoots 42% for most of the year, you feel pretty good about throwing him the ball and expecting that he could get you guys a bucket. So the opposite was true for Plumlee, which I thought was very fascinating. Only four of the 19 Plumlee to Porter assists were threes. Most of the others were cuts to the rim, or at least uh, 
when when he did throw it out to the perimeter, Porter would run off his man and, and get to the lane or get to a mid-range shot. Uh, I thought that was very interesting, that dynamic, that Morris was the guy who found him more on the perimeter for threes, and Plumlee was the guy who found him more for cuts at the rim. So that dynamic can work. It also gives me a lot of hope for Jokic to Porter because I feel like if Porter's going to continue to cut, Jokic is just going to find him, especially at his size. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. There should be a lot of easy baskets between the two of those guys. Uh, when Harris cuts, it's a little bit different just because he has to contort himself a lot of the time. He has to brace himself for contact. Porter doesn't have to brace himself the same way because he can jump over most everybody. So that's important, and it's a good factor, and hopeful that Porter continues to showcase his cutting at this point. Uh, but both of those guys, Mason Plumley, Monte Morris, they tied 19 assists each. Final question, who directs the Nuggets' offense via game plans and in-game situations? This one came from, I didn't write this down before. Let me see if I can pull that up. Oh, it's Elkarg. Elkarg. Uh, shout out to Auburn. Um, yeah, no, I, I I would say that the collection of coaches and scouts, they all contribute to every game plan. It's not one guy who really... Like, I would say Malone is obviously the mastermind between before each game, but he gets elements of his game plan from a lot of those other coaches. Uh, they'll contribute things like the, the especially in-game stuff like the timeouts and challenges left, the certain foul situations, certain players. Uh, they'll also chart a lot of the things that are going on, like the, the paint assists and the blow-bys defensively. But really what more you're talking about is how the Nuggets are going to attack things, how they are deciding to attack the opposing team from an offensive-defense perspective. And ultimately, that comes down to Malone. That's, his, that's what he does. He pieces together a lot of these things with the help of his coaches, but mostly him. And he goes through every, every single one of these situations. And when it comes down to the game time, it's his rotations, it's his called plays, it's his feel for the situation and what he thinks is the best call. And it's not really much of anybody else. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. because And it's very impressive for, for Malone's standpoint with the way that the Nuggets have succeeded is that he has done a good job of making sure the Nuggets get into a good play pretty often. They actually do pretty well out of timeouts or at least they did last year. I can't I can't remember the exact number this year, but they were one of the best teams points per possession wise coming out of timeouts when Malone would call a player, he would get recommendations from other guys on a good play to run. The dynamic is a little bit different and I think it's fascinating. I actually see a different Nuggets offense next year. There's a drastically different starting personnel that's going to come. Uh, Barton was the starting small forward. Millsap was the starting power forward. I think next year the starters there are Porter and Grant, respectively. It's a lot more athleticism and length. It's a lot more shooting overall. Even though Barton had a good year shooting, even though Millsap had a really good year shooting, Porter and Grant are guys that are going to get shots up. They are very comfortable shooting from out there. Their attempt rates are very high. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Nuggets handle that, how they design their offense around that, because I think Porter 
is dynamic at 6'10", and he can potentially help rewrite some of the Nuggets' playbook because some of the things that they were running for Gary Harris or Will Barton uh, weren't necessarily working for Porter. They had a specific playbook of plays that they liked to run for Porter. That's going to probably evolve into a larger piece of the playbook, I would say. All right, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. A little bit shorter today, but enjoyed it nonetheless. Uh, Next week, we are going to get into both Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic. Uh, Let me know down in the comments or on Twitter which one you'd like to see first. I'll probably get a guest on for one of those. I think I've got a couple of good guests in mind to be able to talk about those guys. It's going to be fun. I, I, I enjoyed doing this series. I enjoyed talking about the current Nuggets and their situation going forward, even though not a lot of basketball, of course, going on right now. So we'll see if that changes anytime soon. Should get some news pretty quickly. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I will see you guys next week. <laughs>